0: Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. This is your host, Terry Wellbrock, and just wanted to take a second to thank you for being here and a part of this healing space, for liking, sharing, commenting on videos, and uh, yes, just helping this show continue to grow. Had our best month ever in October. So excited about that. Almost doubled September's downloads, um, which is just incredible. And the show's been on the air for over four years, four years and three months. Started in July of 2017. And last month's downloads accounted for over 11% of total downloads over all of that time. So it just just absolutely blossomed. And I have you to thank for it. Um, so many people saying, hey, I was talking about the Healing Flags podcast and told this friend to listen in. Or, hey, I have somebody who's experiencing some severe grief. And so, um, yes, can you tell me what show to? they need to listen to? So it's just been wonderful. And I just wanted to say thank you. Um, again, a reminder to go to academy.terrywellbrock.com. Tell folks I have online courses and coaching available. Thanks. Now for the show welcome everybody to the healing place podcast i am your host terry welbrock and very excited to have with me today beth Kavanaugh, and she is certified hospice and palliative care nurse and author of some light at the end and yeah we are going to talk about a subject we haven't talked about yet here on the healing place podcast so I'm, i'm excited to learn from beth and uh welcome Thanks, Terry. I'm so
1: happy to be here. And I hope I can provide some hope and healing during this interview.
0: Oh, I'm I'm absolutely sure you can. I and mean, again, I've, I told you before we hit record, my dad um, passed in 2009. And um, he was in a hospice and like a building hospice. It wasn't in home hospice. But um, he kept saying that he wanted to go home, but we, we never did have time to make the transition. But mm-hmm. um, It was such a beautiful, beautiful experience um, Mm. for us as a family to be able to be there with him. And um, yeah, one of the things I read on your, I've read your website and your one sheet and all of that. Um, One of the things you talk about is patients, those who have been given a terminal diagnosis, being allowed to make their choices because it's their journey. And I loved I loved that. So can you talk to us about, yeah, the work you're doing?
1: Yeah. Um, I do feel really strongly about um, what we call patient autonomy. So patients have the right to make decisions about their care, their life, their death, their health. Um, and our job as nurses, um, as a hospice and palliative care nurse, is just to present patients with transparent information and, um, and the possibilities and consequences of what they choose or what they decide not to choose. And, and then just let the patient decide, you know, there's, there's a lot of patients that um, don't want hospice for understandable reasons. And um, I never really understood that until I started having family conferences with patients and families about hospice and I had so many patients say, nope, I am not ready yet. I don't, I don't want to throw in the towel. I want to keep going to the hospital if anything, you know, happens. Um, I don't want people coming in my home. And I just really felt like it's important to honor that choice and that decision. And if we present hospice information in a gentle way, you know, maybe they'll circle back to it in a month or two months or maybe in a year. I mean, you just never know. Um, So I I do feel like patient autonomy, I mean, at any time in life is really important. People making their own decisions about their life. Uh, But also at the end of life, I think it's a beautiful opportunity to keep giving people
0: control
1: um, when a lot of their life is out of control.
0: Oh, Yeah, for sure. And I know that was exactly what happened with our family is my dad was in the hospital and um, someone came in and talked to us about it. And he was very adamant that he did not want that, that he was going to go home and he was going to make it home and be okay. And uh, yeah, and my mom was said, no, 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 we're we're not going to go down that road. And and just as time passed, it just became more evident to all of us. Um, And you do, I think families do need, and patients certainly need time to process. And again, I just come back to, I love how you're saying, um, and I say it all the time for healing from trauma, which we talk about often on the show, is we're all on our own individual journeys. And so Mm -hmm. just honoring, you said the word honoring, and that's just so key to honor where each person is along their journey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had a. Uh, one of my first
1: kind of stories that I remember when I was a hospice nurse long ago at an AIDS hospice, I had a nurse mentor and we were walking around and she was telling me about the, um, we were walking into patients' rooms and we walked into this one patient room and he was watching soap operas and he was dying. Um, and I said, why don't we, you know, turn off the soap operas and and maybe listen to Bach or something kind of spiritual and holy. And she said, Beth, this is his final chapter to write. It's not your chapter to write. And I thought, oh, wow. She goes, he loves soap operas. Like most of his life, he has watched this soap opera general hospital. It was really important to him. And, uh, and it was such a great lesson for me. That was my first lesson. And I've had many lessons since then. And I continue to, um, that patients teach me about, um, Yeah, honoring, honoring their life and their choices and what's important to them, because it will always be different from what I think is
0: important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I know, again, I keep coming back to my dad only because it's just it was such a great example. I remember looking at my dad and saying, Dad, if you could have anything in the world right now, Mm -hmm. what would you like? And he said, I'd like a Whopper Jr. from Burger King <laughs> to watch Christmas Vacation. And it was January. It was after Christmas. And so I said, all right. So I sent my oldest son. I said, go get Papa a Whopper Jr. So he sat and fed it to him, which is such a great oh. memory. And so he ate oh. about half of it. And then there was a horrible ice storm. I lived in Cincinnati at the time. And the rest of the family left. And I stayed with my dad. And we watched... Um, American Idol but it was that (laughs) beginning of American Idol where we did watch Christmas Vacation we we watched that and he laughed and he kept coming in and out of consciousness but he would laugh and then he would quote things and I was loving it but so I turned on American Idol just to sit with him because he'd fallen asleep and it was that American Idol when they used to show like the horrible outtakes when people sang horribly at the beginning (laughs) and at one point he opened his eyes and he was like Oh, and I was like, <laughs> I realized the speaker like in his hospital bed was like right in his ear. And I was like, Oh my gosh, dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But um, those yeah. are good memories, right? I mean, it is.
1: that's a beautiful memory. And, and the whole, like the fact that he wanted a Whopper and he wanted to watch Christmas Vacation and that your son could go get Papa the Whopper and feed it to him. I mean, those are incredible um, memories for your son Uh, for you and and to give your dad that kind of control at the end of his life. And those simple, simple things are still so important and it feels so good to be able to um, offer, you know, choices to people at the end of life. So that's really beautiful that you asked him that really important question. You know, what's really important to you right now?
0: Yeah, well, thanks. And I, I, I whatever inspired me to do so no one had instructed us, I just was kind of like just watching him lay there. And I thought, he really needs something that's going to mm. make him smile and make him happy. And so that was it. My guess is you get your instruction from Yes, I I have Higher like, sources. I was and- a little <laughs> angel tap or something on my, on my shoulder. Right. Yeah. Right. Have I have a feeling. fabulous story about that. And then I promise I will let you talk. No, this is people.
1: great. I love dialogue.
0: <laughs> this is so good. I you know. I feel like I'm like, blah, blah, blah. but so my mom, speaking of, of faith, my mom was, would pray every day. My, my dad was a Jesuit brother. We very Catholic and my mom's very Catholic goes to daily mass and prays her rosary. And so she had been praying ever since my dad had died. Um, you know, Jim, if you could just give me a sign that you went peacefully. She was so concerned oh, that he struggled oh. and just wanted to know that he, he died mm-hmm. peacefully. And um, it, cause he died within a few hours after I left him that night, he, he passed that wow. night like within mm-hmm. about five hours. Oh. And so um, anyway, she was working at a little deli at a Kroger store, grocery store. And, and she said, and I, was at this podium and I would take people's orders for their lunch meat and cheeses and whatever. And she said, and I looked up and she said, I said to myself, Oh, that looks like the Holy spirit walking towards me. And then she said, it was a lady in a red skirt and a red jacket with a almost a glowing white shirt, but she had like a red round pill box hat on her <gasps> head. Like Jackie Kennedy used to wear in the sixties. Wow. Or a halo. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, this story is so crazy. So she says, the lady walks up to her and says, Hi, did you have a husband that passed in hospice um, earlier in the year? Now, this was in the summertime, and my dad had died in January. And she said, my mom said, yes. She said, well, I was his hospice nurse, and I just wanted to let you know that he died peacefully. And so my mom was so blown away. Like, she was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. So the lady left. My mom got home and she said, and I said, oh my gosh, I forgot to ask, like, you know, what were his last words? What, what was her name? So I could thank her. Blah blah blah. So she started praying on it again. And she said, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, she was standing there. The same woman walked in in the exact same outfit, walked <gasps> up to the podium and said, hi, yes, I wanted to come back and answer a few questions for you. No. And I wanted to tell you um, that when I walked into the room to check on Jim, he s- I said, do you need anything? And he said, yes, will you pray the Memorare with me, which was his favorite prayer. Oh. So she did. And then she said, Jim, you look cold. Would you like a heated blanket? And he said, that would be wonderful. And she said, and I left the room. And when I came back, he was gone. So he died oh. peacefully. Um, wow. So my mom was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can I ask your name? And so the lady gave her her name. So my mom got home that evening and called Hospice of Cincinnati and said, "Um, I just wanted to say how much it meant for me for the nurse that took care of my husband in January to stop by. Please tell and then said her name. And they said, "Um, we don't have anybody here that works here by that name and never has. Wow. And so my mom says, I swear it was an angel. And I said, oh, my oh, gosh, for sure. Like I get definitely. goosebumps every time I tell it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So wow.
0: I, now I'll let you talk.
1: So <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, I've had a lot of experiences with um patients who, you know, as they're transitioning towards actively dying, they, they they call it the veil being very thin at this stage. So they're kind of like, I mean, we see it as kind of crossing back and forth between this earth, physical earth, and then what's to come the mystery and, uh, and, and you, you can really see it as um, somebody who's at the bedside a lot where um, it doesn't happen to everybody. But they either have conversations with people who have gone before them, maybe their husband was deceased and they're having a conversation with their husband or, you know, auntie Ann is sitting right next to her in the chair. Um, Jesus has been in the room with, you know, one of my patients and um, you know, so I just, I kind of feel like all bets are off when it comes to this stuff. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons I find it really, amazing and such an honor to work in this uh, field of end of life because it is such a sacred time and divine and there's so much mystery around it. And I just, I love that piece of it. So I love that your mother had this, I mean, she, she reminds me of like a Pan Am flight attendant.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. That's what I had envisioned as well. Yes.
1: Right. Pan Am angel who came to her to, um, you know, relieve her from her distress you know, yeah. and I think a lot of people do have distress after somebody who has died and all the what ifs and what happened and how were they? So I right. find that beautiful that your mom had that experience.
0: Yes. Well, my dad had um, high anxiety. And I'm I'm only looking out the window because a hawk has landed right outside my window, a giant hawk. Oh. the craziest thing I have ever seen. Oh I'm here. So okay, I don't know what that means, but anyway, I you know, know I'm either. just letting you know that that's really. Okay, um, I know, I'm, and it's, so it's just distracting me. So I'm going to try not mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. But um, what were we talking about? <laughs> hawks. Let's let's go there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Isn't that crazy? What do, What's the symbolism for hawks that you see things clearly as? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so what we're talking about? Yeah we're seeing it clearly. (laughs) Mm, So yeah, so let's, let's, let's turn towards the book and talk about um, what this book is about, what inspired it and so forth. Um so I'm a
1: hospice nurse and what inspired it was a lot of a lot of things. I um but mostly all the education that we do for patients and families. Um you know a lot of unlike your dad, a lot of hospice patients go home and their family or friends take care of them. That's I mean that's a lot of them. Unless somebody's already living in a nursing home or a foster home, then hospice will come to them there. We we visit people wherever they live. And um You know, people want to know about hospice. They want to know what happens if I don't choose hospice. Um, There's information in there about how a patient dies, how they decline over time, what that looks like. Uh, There's information about a lot of the symptoms that we address, like constipation, anxiety, pain, shortness of breath. Um, And there's information about um, care for somebody at the end of life. And I actually wrote this to a hospice patient because I feel like they're the star of the show. And I really wanted to highlight them knowing that they could read this if they wanted to, and they could make choices about the end of their life if they wanted to. Um, but I thought about the caregiver every step of the way, because they're the ones who often have all the questions and they're doing the 24-7 care. So I really wanted them to have a resource that's acceptable accessible and digestible and easy to understand and they can you know just refer to it at 3 a.m. I I also had my own experience with hospice which is one of the other pieces to my reason for writing the book and I took care of my mom in 1998 when she died of lung cancer and um, I had so many questions when I was taking care of her and, and it, I, it was really a surprise every step of the way. And I wish that I would have had some information to draw on. I could have called the hospice team and they are available 24 seven by phone, but it, it didn't really occur to me at the time. And, a, and a lot of things you just kind of want to think ahead and yeah, it, a lot of it is just information. I wish I would have had as somebody who's taking care of my own mom, um, yeah. So, I mean, I really wrote it just to be a resource for people to have at the end of their life. One that's kind of a soft landing place for for hospice because death and dying is a really hard subject for most people. So.
0: Yeah. Well, what a beautiful, beautiful gift to give to. Well, again, to patients who. Um, yeah, I mean, I can only underst- imagine the anxiety that people face when giving that sort of diagnosis. Um, yeah, as a person who's experienced anxiety, like I know I, my anxiety would just be, yeah, through the roof. Yeah. Um, but what a gift to, I don't know, just to have that anchor, something to hold on <laughs> to and, and hope, um, is just such a gift to give to folks.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I do think it can provide people relief, you know, at the end of life. Um, you know, when I think about my mom, uh, after she died and, um, and we, my sister and I, just kind of instinctively put her in some sweet pajamas before she left our house. And um, and and now I really advocate for people doing rituals at the end of life, and really thinking about that. Really thinking about the moment of death. Uh, you know, if you're if you happen to be there at the time, you know what you want to do for your mom, or maybe even. They can provide you with some information about what would be important to them. You know, I talk about dismantling the the machinery and maybe put them in a gown or put a blanket over them and really uh, have a moment of honor because, um, you know, death is, it is such a feared concept in our culture. And um, I really want it just, just to bring it back as a really beautiful, beautiful moment of pause, sacredness, honor. Um, You know, because that can provide a lot of healing for the people who are left behind, too, just knowing that they did something like that.
0: Yes. Well, again, from stories that I've heard of friends and family who have gone through it and have been offered that kind of, um, I don't know, just that time that... again it's just such a gift I know when we had time with my dad just to be able to kiss him on the forehead and um I wrote a short story about it in in the moment because it was just again just such a beautiful way to say goodbye to him Mm. um and to be allowed that 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 space with him yeah. I'm I'm so glad you wrote about it because you know that's
1: one thing that you're you're not really thinking about when you're taking care of somebody that you love is that I mean part of it's just that you don't believe they're going to die but but you also forget so much that happens at that really beautiful poignant time and I love that you wrote about it and and then that's your gift that you can pass on to other people right is to remind them to be with their loved one at the end of their life and, and say a, a deliberate goodbye if that feels right to them. So I love that you had that experience and that you wrote about it.
0: Thanks so much. Yeah. I really think it, it, when I read it now, like I get choked up, not about my own goodbye and my own, which was so much a part of it, but it was my youngest son, the one who's that one. <laughs> um, he, he was young, he was younger. He was, I think he was 15 when my dad passed. Um, and so, and it was, it was the image of him sitting on a, on a couch over by the window. Like he would, he, he was trying to get as far away. He was at the furthest point in the room away from Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. my dad. And, um, and, and so it was kind of like, his journey as well. And it, and it just pointed to how each of us and each family member, which I'm sure you deal with, right. everyone again, honoring where each person present is along their journey with it.
1: Right. And and I think a lot of people have different comfort levels with death and dying, right? And, and of course, a 15 year old, your son has, has probably never been in the room with somebody who is dying, So it feels scary. But I also feel like it's kind of an amazing opportunity um, for kids to also just, you know, have that moment. Um, my, my guess is if he didn't want to be there, he probably wouldn't have been there. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, I always say, give choices to people too. So give choices to them whether or not they want to be in the room, whether they want to be outside of the room. I mean, I've had lots of families just sit outside of the room and that's where they'd rather be because they're not comfortable with it. Um and kids especially, you know, they sometimes just don't even know what they would want. So I think it's just important to honor that. So I like that he chose the, the back seat. Yes, right. <laughs> it was
0: still there. You know? I'm gonna watch this from way out here, right? <laughs> right,
1: right. But still be in there, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. Is he the one who brought the whopper? No, that no. was the
0: older it's- one. So that was I can't I gotta with <laughs> this one. <laughs> so yeah, he was he was 17. And mm-hmm. so um yeah, he was and he had been really, really super close with my dad. So I, I think that was just a bonding moment. And I think it was very healing for for John as well. i uh, yeah and, uh, time with his with his papa. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I do think it's important to um you know, like I said, give choices, especially to children. You know, about what they want, and and give them ideas for ways to engage because they don't know. So I think you know maybe feeding your mom ice cream or Jello, or you know just reading to them or drawing them a picture of something that's important to you and telling them about it, or you
0: know feeding him a. Uh, whopper like right. That's right. well I love it yeah and some of the things that I've I've read that you wrote how it was yeah go for that Sunday I mean if right. you're in hospice mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. go eat the oh, Sunday yeah. Yeah. oh yeah
1: yeah we have the we had this um CNA that I worked with his name is Boyd I hope he doesn't mind me sharing his name Uh, but he would always make Sundays for all of our patients all the time. Everybody requested his Sundays and it would be, you know, I mean, he was an evening shifter. So from three to midnight, you know, he was busy making Sundays for all these people. And, you know, he just, he always remembered what's the most important thing is asking the patients, you know, what they want a delicious taste of. So yeah, I think that's really, I do think it's important to, you know, a lot of patients who have cardiac issues or diabetes, they've been on this rigid diet forever. And I know there's some health consequences, so I'm not advocating. Definitely always check with your medical professional, but, um, at the end of life, I mean, it's nice to, um, be able to throw some of those, um, those rules and regulations away and kind of let them be a little freer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I understand. Well, I I, I get what you're saying about check with the doctor, but it does seem like (laughs) I want the Sunday. I want the Whopper (laughs) junior. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. All right. So is there anything else that you wanted to steer towards and talk about? Mm, Let's see. Well, I
1: think that, um, You know, I, I just like to encourage people that if they know somebody at the, who has a terminal diagnosis or is on hospice to show up in some way for them, um, usually families need extra help and extra support. It's kind of an intense time. So I think that offering meals, offering, um, just moments that you can sit with the patient, so that the primary caregiver can take a rest or go get their hair done or run an errand. Um, You know, I just, I, I encourage people to show up. It's a really beautiful time in someone's life. And I think the more that we do that, the more experiences that we have with death, you know, it, it just becomes this amazing cultural norm that's not feared. And then we can create other meaningful ways to die, meaning like maybe insurance will pay for somebody to die in the hospital and we can have these amazing death suites, like we do birth suites and maybe insurance plans will cover that. And, you know, just... And there will be hospice homes sprinkled throughout the country. So I, I always have these kind of visions and dreams about other possibilities for hospice in our country. And, um, and I think just the more people who engage with death and dying can see what a beautiful um, experience it can be and that it's not as scary necessarily. Um, and it's just a beautiful way to connect with people. Yeah.
0: Yeah yeah i love that so many people and the more and more well again just doing these interviews and people that i talk to are using the words transition um because it really is i mean for those of us i think for many people it's it's just a transition of spirit Mm -hmm. from this life to another realm another dimension another place um and yeah so i just think if we, by honoring, I, I love your ideas. I mean, they're just beautiful ways to honor that transition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, after my mom died, I feel like I developed
1: a spiritual relationship with her, you know, and I don't, I don't know if you have that with your dad also. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's just an incredible way to still connect with your loved ones. Um, I mean, whatever that looks like for
0: people, but um, you know, I do feel like it's not necessarily over after we die. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I can say with absolute certainty because my dad gives me messages. So many of my friends, I don't know if I'm just drawn to them are have, um, I don't know, intuitive abilities, psychic abilities, whatever, however you want to label it. And I was sitting at a, at a brewery having a beer with a friend (laughs) and, All of a sudden she said, oh my gosh, your dad is behind you, which made me dumb because my dad was, and I was like, you know, looking over my shoulder, like what? And she said, oh, oh yeah. yeah. She said, he's wearing like a, now she, she had never met my dad. Oh. Um, and so she's like, he's wearing like a flat, like handicap kind of hat. And he's doing a funny little dance. And I just started cracking up laughing oh. because my dad loved this tan, flat, <laughs> hat that he had he wore it everywhere all the time and he always did he imitated my grandma kitty and did what he called the irish jig and he he was six foot six a big guy but he would like do this silly little dance (laughs) imitating it and i was like in a million years if she had stalked my facebook page i never had never put anything out there about that right like there's no way she could have known either of those things I love that. I love that. And then there's many more stories of things where people will reach out and tell me, Hey, your dad told me blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Thanks dad.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're so lucky actually. What gifts, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and one question I did have um, so now do the majority of people want to be at home when they do hospice? Is it, is there you know, data, well, on who wants to be in a facility versus who wants to be at home. Um, they, they say that
1: um, there, there's one statistic I've seen recently, and I'm not very good with stats <clears throat> and it could have changed um, is that 80% of patients want to be in their home when they die. But I also think, um, you know, a lot of people don't know the realities of death and dying and the realities of what care at home will look like. Um, there's a lot of men and women that live alone And so they don't actually have anybody to take care of them. Um, You know, and we have the silver tsunami, which is, you know, all, all of our baby boomers aging and there will be plenty of people that live alone or live with their partner who will be 85 years old also and having to do the care. So, so 80% of the patients do want to live at home while they die, but I, I, I just feel like it's a, Unrealistic goal to shoot for because a lot of patients need more care than either their loved ones can provide or than is reasonable and beautiful. And then also, that's why I so want other hospice homes and I want insurance companies to pay for end of life care in various places. I want Medicare to be able to cover room and board if somebody is in a nursing home, in addition to hospice, because I think that patients just need more care than they think they do. And, and for the caregivers, um, it's, it's kind of nice, you know, your, your dad died in a home, so you could show up and be his daughter and love him, and not think about, you know, bathing him and not think about taking him to the toilet or giving him his medications or managing his pain if his pain is kind of out of control. So I see a lot of patients at home who feel a little overwhelmed by all the medical knowledge they have to gain and all of the, the responsibility. I mean, I, I felt very responsible for my mom's comfort. Um, she had shortness of breath. That was her main symptom. And, um, and it was stressful to be the one who was kind of managing her morphine and making sure she was comfortable and managing her oxygen concentrator. So, um, so, yes, patients do want to die in their home, but i I think it's not always realistic or practical
0: yeah i that was that's just such a beautiful valid point you brought up, and I never really thought about that before is that I was able to come and go from that hospice center um, just being a daughter and not i mean obviously trying to make sure my dad's needs were being met, Mm -hmm. um, in doing all I could to make him smile and be comfortable, but yeah, I didn't have to worry about those things. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. And I'm, you know, we have a couple hospice homes here in Oregon and, um, and I work in a hospice home now and I love it because, you know, I see the patients and the families come in and the families are just relieved, you know, that Mm -hmm. they can just now kind of sit back and hold their mom's hand and be with her and read her poetry and feed her ice cream and not worry about anything else. So yeah, it's one of my hopes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, I, I feel it was such a gift um, to be able to have that time with my dad. And I'll, I'll finish our, us up on a, on a funny note because, and I, I may have talked about this once before on the show, but so I said I was the last one to leave with my dad and American Idol ended and I <laughs> gave my dad a kiss on the head. And I said, all right, dad, I'll see you tomorrow. It's a really bad. ice storm right now. I'm going to go ahead and take off. Um, but I love you. And you know, he didn't respond. He was asleep or had again, he was in and out of consciousness. So, so I went to like, you know, leave the room quietly. And when I did, I tripped over his catheter cord. <laughs> And all of a sudden, this is the last thing my dad saw of my face. Dad, I am so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Because he sat, he sat up and went, oh. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Dad, I'm so sorry. Well, then I couldn't find a nurse. I couldn't find anybody because it was oh late. Goodness. And they were in other people's rooms. And I certainly didn't want to knock on somebody's <laughs> door and be like, hey sorry to interrupt that's so, so like, funny oh. you know so I called left a message when I got home but um <laughs> he died within a few hours but I know he's laughing that's about so it funny. now but at the he time is. I was like oh my gosh I pulled his scapegoat yeah. out yeah yeah he, oh my gosh
1: you, you gave him one good last look at your
0: face so did. that's, did. Good. that's I, what he wanted he, I figured he needed to see me with that look of you know <laughs> horror on my face ah <laughs> that's so cute oh my gosh oh my gosh I can I hear him that. laughing so I know he's laughing So <laughs> yeah so how do people connect with you how do they find you um
1: they can find my book on my website which is com, and you can connect with me there To there's a little spot you can just write me a message so I think that's easy I also have Facebook
0: and I have uh LinkedIn so awesome and Cavanaugh is C A V. E. e-n-a-u-g-h That's correct. Yeah. All right. Just for those on audio. So they right. know to put that E in there for Kavanaugh. All right. Is our is our hawk still here? No, it took off. because okay. um, I was going to turn the camera around if he was still out there. That was so crazy. Like I, I have a planter that. sitting out there and it was sitting on the planter, but it was like trying to dig under the planter. So I don't know if there were in South Carolina. So I don't know if there was a little gecko running around. It was trying to get it. Right. Right. Um I love yeah, that. crazy, crazy. So Thanks so much for
1: having me today on your show, Terry, and thanks for all the good work that you're doing out there. Oh I love gosh. the podcast.
0: Yeah, it's just it's been such a gift for you to be here, and again, thank you for the work you're doing because I know for me it touched me personally. Um, I mean, not your you directly, but just the work you're doing. Oh my gosh! I, mm-hmm. I, again, I can just keep saying it's just such a gift that you give to to people to patients to families um so my heart hugs yours
1: (laughs) oh thanks i felt that well i feel (laughs) really lucky to do this work so
0: thank you awesome all right well everyone thank you for joining us on the healing place podcast and remember until next time be gentle with yourself thanks bye-bye hey everybody terry welbrock again just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywellbrock.com for the courses but if you go to my website terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly hope for healing newsletter which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, And just a great space for, uh, again, healing and hope strategies. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.